Hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here with Matt Orlish from Inspired Brands Group, and we're going to talk about how a framework for launching a D2C brand. So Matt, perhaps you could you give us a little bit of background about yourself first? Yeah, thanks for having me. So to give you a top level, I guess, overview of my life today in terms of entrepreneurship, I started when I was 17. And since then, I'm 33 now. 15 years, I've had 26 different businesses in about 10 different verticals. So I guess it's allowed me to have a a unique level of wisdom and experience when it comes to entrepreneurship. Okay, great. So you've launched a number of DTC brands, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, a number of DTC brands. Uh, at the moment, the main focus um, is Cure Skincare for us, football supplements, to name a few. And they're the ones that we're really emphasizing at the moment. Okay, great. So what, if you, you know, someone wants to imagine you've got a, you know, you want to do a DTC brand, right? What is the, the, what do you need to do before you start? What's the first thing that, you know, take us through the whole process? Yeah, haven't done this a number of times. I think the best advice I can give anyone is that that's trying to reverse engineer everything from the narrative first, right? I think a lot of people find a product and they create a brand around a product. And what I'm seeing internally and also externally is that this doesn't really work. The best way to, I guess, create a brand is to really lay, lay the foundations first. And that starts from the narrative of the story, the brand story. Once you develop the brand story, and then you can attach a product that matches the story, then you can attach a name to the brand that matches the story, the colors, et cetera. That's really, really stems from. Um, that, that's that's probably the, the framework that I would use if we're starting again, because everything stems from the narrative of the, of the company. Okay. So what do you mean, okay, but in, in, uh, what about, you know, kind of funding or anything like that? What do you think, what, what's necessary if you want to, you know, start your own DTC business? I think funding is not really necessary today. I think what's necessary is trying to acquire online real estate within that narrative, right? So it's really about having creating some kind of brand story narrative or unique product and trying to test that out via the organic channels that social provides you. Okay. We're the best framework. Where where do you find ideas? I mean, where would you start off with a with kind of product research? Yeah, this is a funny one. Like, you know, back in the day when I was obviously just money hungry, a lot of my ideas manifested from the ability to try and generate money. Where today I think that what I've learned is that money alone is is probably a very shallow way to look at it. I, I gain a lot more value from authentic money that that I create. Authentic money for me really means that you know, a business that I developed that I enjoy so much that money is not really the, the prerequisite. So, you know, in all the businesses I've had, I felt increase in well-being from companies that say generated me a million dollars that I love doing every single day, opposed to companies that generated me $10 million that potentially I didn't enjoy the process as much. So yeah, today I'd be looking more in terms of what I actually fundamentally enjoy and love doing and gravitating towards that more so than doing market research and looking at at such an autistic way in terms of numbers and you know i guess product okay market. so where do you okay so what you so you're saying you know find something which you love and it'll and it'll it'll follow i'm guessing you love football yeah, yeah I love football. so this is i didn't work for the last four years uh i took a lot of time off i didn't really need to work anymore but i didn't want to i guess engage in that rat race of you know chasing so much, so much money. And I, I felt like it was fairly toxic as I went through a different type of journey. Um, so then I started looking, you know, I guess externally and saying, how can I combine so many things that I love together in one business? And I used to be some professional footballer. Um, I didn't make it because my, I guess my, my body didn't really keep up from a physical perspective. I technically I was good. Um, I, I love supplements. I have a couple of supplement businesses. I love health. I love fitness. Uh, I love D2C brands. I, I love business. And this is where the football supplements really came about. So it's tying in my passion for 
developing e-commerce brands, um, supplementation, biohacking, health, and also football. And that's where. Okay. So, what about how do you how do you go about developing a brand? Then, I mean, what are the stages? So, you know, presumably the, the things like you know, developing, getting a name, and getting the the, um, again, you know, the visual assets, etc. What? Yeah, like the first fundamental step is creating a narrative. And for, for me, the narrative was I wanted to improve football's performance through nutrition, education, and supplementation, right? And this is ultimately that narrative was the most important for me because this is where I failed when I was younger. So if I could help others achieve what I couldn't, you know, I thought I was in, in a in a good state. So then from that story, I went about creating a brand that was just for football players. And that's where footballsupplements.com was created, right? right? And then from there, I engineered products that were just for footballers. Do you see how everything kind of stemmed from that narrative? Right, and okay. Then from there, I created a logo that was based on football and supplementation and, you know, education. So, so how important is it? I mean, what are the do's and don'ts of creating a brand? I think the, the don'ts is that just create a story or a narrative or brand that's that's not hyper-focused. I think there's so much value in being a specialty today, especially in a crowded marketplace. People often think that if they specialize in a certain industry or a certain sector, that they're not going to gain the revenues or the fruit that, or the benefits or that, you know, a, a generalized company would, but it's actually not true. Uh, the, you know, we underestimate how big a certain niche could be. For example, football supplements for us, people are just, we're like the only ones in the world doing this currently, maybe one other, but this is the biggest game in the world of 200 million players. Um, the most money and most affluent like a sport in the world yet no one's specializing in football because they're just creating general athletic supplement brands but not catering, catering to football alone which you know as you look at the market size it's huge in terms of how many footballers there are okay so what do you say in terms of because you would you think that people should have a because obviously your brand is just football supplements it does what it says right yeah. very very you know i'm guessing you would you say that it's better to have a really kind of a brand that does what it says or, or something which is a bit more you know one of these kind of generic brands that doesn't really mean anything but yeah. then uh, you know is it, quite easy to find so i'm guessing if i search for super football supplements right probably an awful lot of things come up about football supplements but if you were to search for uh, i don't know just choose a I don't know, a, one of these brands, Epson printers, I've got an Epson printer next to me, you know, it is, it is a name uh, and it, it's, it's kind of more uniquely defined. What do you, what do you think is the. I, I think it comes down to the narrative. I'll give you another example. Um, QR skincare, another one of our brands, that brand was born from um, my biohacking background um, and my love of like technology and also finding out that, we're trying to bridge the gap from dermatologist-like treatments to home because a lot of the treatments that I found that are doing at the dermatologist, you have to do consistently at home in for, for it actually to have effect. So we're trying to think about how can we take dermatologist treatments and make it more affordable to people at home. That's where the whole story and narrative came from. And then from that, we developed at-home LED masks that normally people would use at the clinic, but now you can use at home. Now we're doing at-home kneeling devices that you can use at home that you, know, you don't have to go to the dermatologist. So see, it's all around the narrative again. Okay. So, when people come to Cure, they understand that all the products we're developing is trying to bridge that gap between dermatologists and at-home treatments. Okay. So, what about getting the product manufactured? Once you've got a, you know, you've got a brand and you've got a product you want to develop. Yeah. Depending on how technical the product is, we use everything from design firms to doing it ourselves, liaising with the factories. So, when you go into product manufacturing, internally the factories will have product designers and engineers, but they're never going to be you know, at the level that you potentially want to, want to work with if you want to create an awesome product, that probably a third-party design agency would do a lot better job. 
But if you're creating a product where the variables are slightly out of scope, then then I think you can work alongside with the existing factory and their internal team. So would you say that, I mean, because obviously you're about, you're not white labeling products, you're develop, your own, developing your own products from scratch? Yeah, that, now I didn't start there, but yeah. Um, is that a, I'm guessing that's a much riskier thing to do and also a more time consuming thing to do? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it requires a lot more resources, energy. It's a, lot, it's a lot riskier, I guess, especially going to a new market, developing a new product. But then at the same time, you know, when I look at the landscape today, we have online real estate, right? In terms of, let's say, influencers, which is probably the most powerful vehicle to build a brand. How are you going to approach an influencer in a very crowded market? It's by developing a unique story and a unique product, really, that that influence can be, that wants to be attached to that brand and that story. This is where that level of investment doesn't really stem from just, you know, the product development costs, but it also is a little more efficient later on when you're trying to acquire this real estate online through influences. This is the way I look at it. Okay, so you're all about so so um, you're very focused on getting influence on influencer marketing. Yeah, look, it seems to be the quickest way to grow brands today, right? To gain authority um, in in a crowded marketplace, it's a lot easier for people to speak for your brand than yourself. Okay, it's never been a better time to be young and beautiful. I think. So you're right. <laughs> I just think it's it's to, you know the uh, the the Matthew principle to those that have much will be given. Yeah, and yeah. all that. I just think these people that that you know you get loads of followers and you just print money. No, so, that's great. And some of the, what, are the, the I mean, what are the do's and don'ts? I mean, so obviously you have a a, a product which is. I mean, it's right. You know, it, it's a lot of um, compliance that, that these products need to go through, or or which one? Well, just any of them. Just you know, if you've got if you're developing some sort of skincare product, for example, or a supplement, presumably it needs to go through a lot of testing. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, Cure Skincare, a lot of the products have to be FDA approved and that approval process is fairly length, lengthy, but nothing's out of the realm. Like it's a, it's a simple process. It just takes time and money. Okay. So what have you, when you've been developing brands, I mean, what, what's gone really well? And can you give us an example of something that's gone really badly? What mistakes have you made that you wouldn't want, you know, that, that people should avoid? Hmm. I think not being patient enough. That's probably the fundamental learning that I can take away from my experience. Some brands, like I designed the first ever smart wallet with a brand called, with a technology called Tile. This is probably like six, seven years ago. I did a Kickstarter, it didn't go too well. And I kind of just sacked the project. And then years later, people copied my concept, executed a lot better and created, you know, eight, nine figure businesses out of it. Right, okay. But I think, so, I think yeah, I mean, so you see a lot of brands, the things just, you know, things come along at the wrong time. I mean, you know, I've been doing this long enough now to I remember the first kind of internet businesses that came along. Yeah. And these businesses, uh, you know, a lot of the, the same ideas come around again and again. And sometimes you can just be too early. Yeah, timing's everything. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, HelloFresh, the, the, the yeah. I mean, there were some, the, some of the first I remember, there was a whole lot of businesses that launched in like, about the year 2000 or 99 or something, which were very, were like HelloFresh, but they just totally failed. And maybe it's, it's uh, it is, I think you say, a lot of, a lot of timing involved. So let's talk about promotion. I mean, I know we have a lot of we talk to a lot of people that that are, are strong on um, big on Amazon. Uh, you, that Amazon's not something you're you're interested in. No, I think for us, I'd rather take control of the comp the, the the customer. Sorry, mainly because of our marketing strategy always tends to an education model, and we can't really educate consumers um, if we're acquiring them on Amazon. And we find that the, the quality of customer that that comes through our store was always better than the customer that came from Amazon as well. I think it all depends depends on the brand or the product that you're that you're designing or developing. 
whether what's what's more applicable. But for us, it hasn't really made sense at this moment. Okay, so how do you, what kind of channels to market do you use? What's your... Yeah, so we're strictly online and through some online retailers. So we strategically choose some online retailers to give us a bit of authority uh, in, in the space. And then, yeah, we strict to DTC, DTC model. Okay, so what you do to see what you do, uh, Shopify website? Uh, what yeah, of... we're sticking with Shopify at the moment for all our brands. Okay, so what um, what kind of channel? So how much, what kind of, do you use, uh, say, for example, Google Shopping or do you use, is it uh, all social media advertising? Yeah, so we're lucky and fortunate enough to have an internal digital agency that we, we also own uh, where we spend about three to $4 million a month on paid ads. So we have a lot of learnings from working with other clients as well that we're able to implement into our own brands. So we do everything from yeah YouTube, TikTok, uh, Pinterest, Google, yeah, you know, the standard channels, I guess. Okay. So what I mean, is there anything particularly innovative you've done that you'd like to tell us about? I think making deals. This is probably an interesting concept for, for people to to grasp. People don't like giving away a percentage of their company, but I think in today's marketplace, it makes total sense to give away small percentages of your brands to the biggest influencers in the space. Okay. This worked extremely well for us. So what would you consider to be a big influencer in terms of, you know, in terms of... See, then again, it all depends on, like, I can't really give you probably a calculation for that, but it all depends on at what stage are you inviting them into the business? Is the business already generating money? Is it profitable? Is it at ground zero and they're investing kind of with you in terms of the risk, risk um, reward ratios? But I think anything where the person can generate you at least a million dollars of sales a year, that individual person organically from their channel would be something of interest. Okay, great. So um, what, I mean, do you use, um, where do you see kind of social media advertising going? Because obviously people think Facebook's going in the way out and TikTok's in the way in. How do you see that developing? So what we've learned is that today is more important ever that your creative strategy has to be on point, meaning that Facebook are stripping away a lot of interests, interest targeting. So what now has to happen, your ad has to generate the interest targeting, if that makes sense. Nice. So more so than ever, you have to have a really in-depth creative strategy where you're looking at customer avatars, you're looking at their market awareness levels and creating copy specific angles and messaging. So it's a lot more work. You know, I think people got away with in the past but not being fantastic marketers because the Facebook platform was doing a lot for them, where today... Um, yeah, you really have to be very sophisticated in the way you're creating your ads and messaging. Okay, so how has the, the changes to iOS affected you if you're doing lots of social marketing? Yeah, it's just it's just made us really focus more on the creative strategy and create a lot more different variables in terms of our creative, creative testing process. You know, before where we might have, you know, launching to creating 10 different ads to test, we have to do 40 now because we're getting a lot more granular in terms of our testing. Okay. So do your influencers are the mainly, where, where's the main, is it is still Instagram is still the main platform that people? No, uh, we, we strictly focus on YouTube, to be honest. We focus okay. on YouTube, there's a flow and effect, like they have an Instagram as well, fantastic, they have Facebook, but really it all starts from YouTube because YouTube is is an educational base for a lot of people. And that, that seems to be the most affinity with buyers. Okay. So do you, do you create your own content on YouTube? You have your own YouTube channels? We have our own YouTube channels, but we're at the stage now we're developing in-house content in terms of educational content. At the moment, we've leaned towards influencers and allowing them to educate for us, to their audience. Okay. So would they do like a kind of advertorial for you guys? Or is it just, I mean, I don't, would they just have it as part of another video or? A lot of it's integrations. 
Some of them are, you know, um, blocked out individual videos on the actual product or brand. But yeah, it's, it's a mixture. And so you do advertising along, do you do have YouTube advertising on YouTube or, or is it just the influence of what yeah, you're doing? Yeah. Okay. So what's the kind of timeline when you're developing a brand? What's your, your do you have an exit strategy? Do you have a, or, or what's your kind of timeline for getting it done? How long would it all take? Um, okay, it's probably two parts of that question. And in terms of setting up a brand, it's going to take you probably three to six months at least, I yeah. think, from you know, the bare minimum. Depending on how complicated the product is, it might take you up to a year. Like Cure took us probably 18 months. Football Stars probably took us a year. So, yeah, it all depends on how complex and how how in-depth you go in terms of the product development. Now, in terms of extra strategy, that's, that's kind of changed for me in the past. You know, before it was all about money, as I mentioned. Now we're developing businesses that we resonate a lot more intrinsically with. So, you know, as long as we're enjoying the business, I don't see why we'd want to sell it. You shouldn't okay. want to sell a business if the business is right. So do you get to hang out with famous footballers? Yeah, we do, yeah. We sign, so we sign a couple of big clubs and big players. So, yeah, where we get to okay. hang out. Who's, who have you signed up? Atletico Madrid. Okay. Um, we're in talks with one other top EPL club, which I can't mention at the moment, uh, a top four club. And some players like Imar Akatic, I'm speaking to a number of others at the moment. Okay, cool. So I don't know. I don't know much about football. Yeah. <laughs> so, <I> mean, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to pretend I know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, let's, um, I've just got one last question for you. What are you, when you're not thinking about football, you're not thinking about supplements, you're not thinking about uh, DTC brands, what are you into? Jumping out of planes and experimenting with obscure substances. So how tell me about okay, first there's two things, they both sound pretty interesting. What are you a skydiver then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in training to do the wingsuit, wingsuit dive um base jumping at the moment. Oh gosh, base jumping, that's quite nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. A so. wing so a wing jumper. Yeah, like wingsuit. You ever seen the wingsuit where you just jump? I have, on? God, they're scary. Yeah. <laughs> God, they're scary. <laughs> and the second part is, yeah, really I'm probably by definition I'm a psychonaut. Okay. So what kind of things? So what? What? Um, are you? Is it? Is this legal? Is it? Uh... Yeah, definitely not. Definitely legal. Um, but I went on a somewhat a personal journey about three years ago, where I was at a at a mastermind in Croatia, one of Ireland, Obuyan. There's about a hundred entrepreneurs that got invited, and there was a certain doctor talking about LSD, and that presentation blew my mind, and I I hired him to work with me one on one for the next two years teach me everything he knew. So that's where my kind of journey started. Okay. So what would you recommend to an aspiring psychonaut? Aspiring? So, so someone that's never tried anything? Yeah. I mean, what's, yeah. Well, do you microdose or what's your thing? I, I microdose, but I think, you know, more values in, in, in the hero doses. But if you're going to start anywhere in terms of substances, you'd probably start with MDMA. Yeah. Um, then you'd probably start trying microdosing with LSD and working your way up. But it's like yeah. anything. Do your research. You're not going to go paragliding without having instructions to jump off a cliff. Like read the instructions. Um, yeah, educate yourself. And don't overdo it. Don't over. Oh, look. Even if you overdo it, like LSD is funny. LSD is zero toxicity and level of body and mind. So you can't overdose on LSD. You can just lose yourself for eight hours and not know where you are. Yeah, it's like the things with um, you know, the, the alcohol does so much damage in the world, and yeah. it makes people sick, and people get into fights. And um, you know, you take take some LSD, and um, you know, you just just sit around and wonder at the stars. 
Yeah, there's a beautiful quote by um, Terence McKenna. I think I'm probably going to misquote it and don't do it justice, but I'll give it a go. He said that the loving government doesn't want you to take LSD because or psychedelics so, don't, so you don't jump out of a third-story window. They don't want you to take it because what it does is dissolve certain opinion structures and culturally-laid models of behaviour and it forces you to question everything that you know is potentially incorrect. And this is what they don't want. Yeah. So, yeah, each to their own. That's interesting. Look, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Likewise. Anytime. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.